I am Consciously Curious, a podcast for those that are searching for a career or are cultivating meaning within their own space. We've had anesthesia providers to barbers, dog behaviors to airline pilots, white collar to blue collar, entrepreneurs to passion projects. Life's too short to not produce meaningful work. Join me, Victor Chan, as we deep dive within various industries. I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to leave a comment. I hope you find some value within these conversations, but more importantly, I hope it sparks a meaning within your own space. Hey guys, I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy as we weather another spike in COVID. If you're feeling anxious as our election results are unfolding, remember that you are always in control of your future, of your trajectory. You are in control of how compassionate and kind you can be to each other from moment to moment. Be loving, be neighborly. I love you guys. In this episode, we chat with the black sheep of his family. He decides to leave medical school midway through to eventually pursue pizza. And although his future path wasn't always clear to him, Derek always seems to be very intentional with his time from moment to moment. Derek shares his journey of cultivating Pauly G's Logan Square into the cult hit that it is. If you haven't already, please get yourself there to try any one of their amazing pizzas. This episode was made possible in part by Side Project Coffee. Shout out Francis Almeida. Get yourself there to try their gourmet drinks and baked goods, as well as some inspiration from local side projects. Enjoy the episode, guys. Derek Tong, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you, Victor. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> um, so the way the episodes typically go, it's a chronological story um, of your journey. And I think you've, you've probably stated this multiple times, but I want you to take it back to what you felt when you would go for those family outings for pizza or like when did you first fall in love with pizza and what did pizza do for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so like you mentioned before, I think, you know, I've told the story a lot, but my first really deep memories of pizza really comes back down to pizza hut and the book it program. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my family's an immigrant family. We would save up enough to go out every once in a while, but it wasn't a common thing. Like, you know, they came with not a lot of money in their pockets. They worked hard. They bought a house for my sister and I to be able to live in. Um, But at some point in school, I want to say maybe like second or third grade, there was this program that Pizza Hut put up up called Book It. Mm -hmm. And then after you read enough books, you got the quiz answers right. You would earn these little gift certificates. And each certificate was good for one pan pizza. So, you know, my grandparents were living with us at certain times. Um, and so that was like six people and in order. To, and once I saved up six, I had the opportunity to take the whole family out. We each got our own personal pan pizza. I mean, it was an opportunity for me to treat the family right? And, as a kid, as a kid, you had that drive to want to give back to your family. Is it, is that an Asian thing? Is it like, what, what part of that, where did that come from? I think, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of an Asian thing. It okay. might be right. Kind of like doing honor to your family and of being course. able to take care of the family, um, which, reflects back to the whole black sheep thing in a little bit, but right, right. Um, I don't know. I mean, part of it, I think part of it's just being a kid. You're like, Oh my gosh, we get to go out. Oh my gosh. I got to pick my own toppings on my pizza. Like this is just the rarity, right? That you even get to go out and enjoy a family dinner. So the fact that I, you know, once we saved up six, everyone got their own pizza and we got some leftovers. It was just such a big deal. Right. Yeah. Um, part of I mean, part of that was achievement too. Right. You know, I think it was drilled in us to always be, and maybe it's another Asian thing, right? Just drill to like do better at school, do better at school. Mm-hmm. So if I'm reading books and I'm passing quizzes and I'm getting rewards for it, it's that instant gratification that's it just is. coming. 
Um, and so maybe that, I think all of that's kind of tied together probably in some fashion. Okay. Okay. And then you, I have a few friends and family members that actually went to IMSA okay. as well. The Illinois Math and Science Academy. Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know, would you describe it as like a boarding school for high school? It's like a boarding school for high school. It's three years, sophomore to senior year. Um, it's like pre-college with training wheels, right? Cause yeah. we still had... We still had like curfew, your first year as a sophomore from seven to nine, you have to be in your room, you have to be doing work, you have to be doing homework and stuff. Um, but it was definitely a very strong independence gaining moment for a lot of us. Yeah. Wait, and didn't you like save up enough money to like just go grab pizza with your friends? <laughs> we did. <laughs> I think this was like the first or second day. Like the, the food in the cafeteria was just so bad. <laughs> I've, I've been really blessed with amazing food from like my mom and my aunts. Like they love cooking at home. It's, it's just great quality food. Like even though they're, they're all working moms, right? But they always made a point to come home and there'd be like a four to six course meal. Oh, wow. Like, you know, there'd be like two veggies, one meat, some rice, all sorts of things on the table. And I think I got so used to just like the flavors, not even knowing that it was such great quality food. The moment we had to start eating just cafeteria food at IMSA, it just, <laughs> oh my God. By day two, like a bunch of quad, mate, quad mates and I saved up money nice. and we ended up like... Paying, Domino's? What, what'd you get? No, it was a local chain, not even a chain. It was a local store that I think is now closed. It was, uh, do you remember Eagles? Yeah. So Eagles was um, a grocery store and oh, it was like okay. right across the way and right around the Eagle, there was this little store where, from what I understand, if you know, you could, as an underage kid, you could probably get beer. You could probably go to the back and gamble <laughs> if you knew the right people, but we just wanted pizza. So we literally just like ordered pizza and then we tipped the guy in like quarters cause we didn't have like bills at all. Sure. So, you know, we, we got some pizza and that was, uh, that was a good memory. I actually totally forgot about that. You, you're obviously done your homework. I don't remember that at all. Um, and so at that point, it's not expected of you, but did you kind of have an idea of your trajectory going into college of what you wanted to do maybe in life? Yeah. You know, I, as, a, as a kid, I've always been three things that I wanted in life as a kid, right? It was I wanted to be a garbage man because garbage men had back in the day when they still had like these gigantic muscles where they had to carry the garbage. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't automated like it is now. Right, so right, if right. you were a garbage man, like this is before I even know they were paid well. You, know you have to men? hang on the back of a truck. Yeah. And <laughs> right. And you're lifting all day. So you just have biceps that are just made of steel. Um, I wanted to be a pizza man. Cause I thought it would be cool to just be able to eat pizza all day. And then I wanted to be a doctor, like any good, like, and that came first from generation. you and not from outside sources. I mean, I'm sure a lot was outside sources. I think, you know, they, I remember a little doctor's kit, like this little red doctor's kit plastic sure. that had a stethoscope and like the thing you tap on your knee and all that good stuff what, inside what of it. What did your parents do? Uh, both my parents. So both graduated in engineering. My mom oh. ended up working at all state insurance and she ended up learning computer programming on the side and kind of moving through that chain. Uh, my dad did private engineering consulting for a long time, and then he eventually ended with the government doing engineering and left. He j they both retired probably about but they half both a decade ago. Value education very highly, highly. highly yeah, I mean they they wouldn't let me work summer jobs. They were a firm believer that you know for the time that you put in learning and effort wise, you could get a scholarship that would far outweigh the oh. amount of money you would make in a summer job. Okay. So they're like, go out, volunteer, learn stuff, do stuff do things that'll make you more qualified for a scholarship because you're wasting your time with a summer job. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. Sure I don't have a different perspective now. Yeah, I don't know that I agree <laughs> with it. Right. I mean, I think there's, I mean, I understand what they were trying to Where do. Where they came from. Right. 
Um, I think there's, there's definitely a value in giving kids summer jobs and teaching them like inherent money management. Cause then okay. that was a whole separate piece, right? Like up until partway through college, like I had no idea how to manage my money. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was a good saver because my parents were good savers yeah. and I learned from it. Right. But when I wanted to splurge, like when the new PlayStation came out, PlayStation two, I'm like right there. Right. I had, I'm like final fantasy on PlayStation. I got to get this. <laughs> like I want it now type of deal. Um, so, you know, learning to manage money became a whole separate chore and understanding finances is a whole separate chore that, you know, I think everyone should have at some point in their life. And it's not taught enough, I think in our public schools or colleges even. Um, but you know, not having a job as a kid, like skills, yeah, just basic life skills that, you know, we didn't pick up on. Um, and so if I were to take a stab in the dark, I didn't read this anywhere. Um, what led you to UIC? Was it GPPA? It was GPPA. Oh my goodness. So like, like you had said, right. So going to IMSA, um, within that time, I kind of like solidified where I wanted to go and the whole, you know, you're as, as a Chinese kid growing up, first generation in the U.S., you're either an engineer, you're a lawyer, or a doctor, mm-hmm. right? And I was looking at physical therapy. I was looking at possibly acupuncture. In the end, I got an offer from UIC, which was GPPA. They gave me a full-ride scholarship for undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, GPPA is, for those that don't know, it's a guaranteed spot in medical school mm-hmm. after you finish four years, assuming that you don't royally mess up your grades. Right, are we right. allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes, no? you are. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Assuming you don't royally fuck up your time exactly. in college. Exactly. And so, you know, I kind of skirted that line a little bit in college. Okay. Um, but ultimately made it through. And then in the first and second year of med school, I'm like this, I can't do this. So wait, what was undergrad for you? Was it a, was it a moment for self-discovery or were you allowed to wiggle room to take like classes, other classes here and there outside of, you were able to take pretty much whatever you wanted. Um, I did a biology degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to do a business degree, but dropped that. And I ended up still pursuing music for a long time. So in high school, I fell in love with uh, choir, chamber choir, music, not production, but like writing music and developing cool. music. So I ended up doing a lot of that as well. Um, I took some classes just to pad my GPA to make sure I could stay in the program because mm-hmm. I definitely didn't have the best organic chemistry scores oh, that I gosh. should have. Who needs organic chemistry now? <laughs> it's like, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, I don't mean... You know, maybe, maybe somewhere down the line, I'll end up like doing some more like food development stuff that might be useful. I'm reading a book right now, actually, about bread. And the first four chapters are all about like the organic chemistry of bread, how glucose is developed, how the process is. So a lot of it, I'm like, okay, well, I know all this. This is all very familiar stuff already, which is nice. I can only imagine like restaurateurs or like bread bakers that are approaching it from the other side. This might be a whole different like perspective. See, I want to I want to put that in a box and save it for that pizza episode. No, for We're sure. Creating like the Avengers pizza episode. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I want to know who's on this team. Um, and so going into, or I guess, what other like were you happy with with how you did in undergrad, like with your trajectory at that point? You know, I honestly I, I slacked off in undergrad a lot. Okay, like that's really what it came down to. You know, knowing that I had a guaranteed spot in med school. Um, I wouldn't say it's even and cocky. At, at that point, did you, did they need the MCAT? Uh, yes. They you, did need the MCAT. You did okay. need an MCAT. You had to get a minimum score in order to qualify, or you had to take like a remedial right before med school to go okay. in. And so I, I never got the minimum score. So during that summer, I was taking the remedial classes to get myself ready for med school. And that's when I, you know, started making like, Part of that is the reason why I left ultimately, I think. Like my parents and my family went off to Alaska on a cruise and I wasn't able to go because I had to stay back and do the preparation for med school, which I appreciated. I learned a lot. But also that's like the first time I realized like going through med school 
is going to be a lot of sacrifice. Like the first year, Absolutely. first two years is ridiculous amounts of time just studying and sacrificing. And at some point I was like, I'm spending all this time working my ass off and I'm not anywhere near the top of the class. Like I'm barely skirting by on some of these classes. But, and, and even if you were at the bottom, like, did you, it just didn't, you didn't like it. Did you like it at all? I, I loved, I love the info. You right? love the info. I love the people. Um, but in the end, I, I did not want to do something that I wasn't great at, right? Interesting. And I think that's, that's part of it. Like, I felt like as much as I studied, as hard as I studied, like, I would sometimes barely pass. And I just wasn't happy with that. And, and I so got down on myself right now, it. you feel like learning the nuances of bread and pizza come more naturally to you? Or do you put just, it's easier to put that much more effort into. I think I think part of that is more passion, right? Like I definitely have a ton more passion for food mm. and you know just developing food as a whole. Um, but also part of it now is like I don't have to be the best at bread. I have a two guys, three guys in my team that are Travis, right? Travis, yeah. Tony, Yvonne is really delving into bread a lot. Okay. Um, you know, more and more like I'm trying to surround myself with people that are smarter and better than me at stuff. And mm. I mean, that's how you make a great team, right? Because right, right. if you're the smartest on the team, like you're in the wrong spot, you're in the wrong spot and you can, you're, you're limited by how far you can go yeah. unless your team is yeah. better than you. Um, so, you know, it's super exciting to see what they do. And there's always a part of me that's like, oh, I got to learn that. Oh, wait, wait, teach me how to do that. And, you know, when there's time, they teach it to me. Otherwise, I'm always refocused on, like, how do we keep the business going? Or how do we grow the business so that we can right. create yeah, more And you can focus on other things, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and so when, it, when you came to the realization of this med school stuff isn't for you, um, how hard was it to face your parents with that? Super hard. Yeah. I mean, I went, so I did it when, so they went on, like, a three-week trip to China. And while they were gone is when I dropped out of med school. So they, they were not happy when they, when they came back. I mean, it, to be fair, it was like I was taking a one-year break. But in my heart, I already knew, like, this is it. If I take this break, like, I'm, I'll leave the door open. Like, I have the opportunity to come back and rematriculate. But realistically, like, I'm So you done. told them it, it was more of a break. Yeah, and it was. Like, yeah. according to the med school, yeah. it was a, a one-year hiatus, okay. which every med student can take at any point in time. Okay. Um, but I was just like, I can't. Like, I can't do this anymore. I need to find something else. I need to find something that, like, I'm good at and I love at the same time. Yeah. So. And were you shunned at all or? Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Like, family, like, for the next three months, I wasn't invited to family parties. Like, no. literally, they told me to just stay in Chicago and not worry about coming home for, like, oh, a grand, grandparent's birthday party or something like that. Yo, I mean, what? it was. Yeah. And it wasn't my parents. Like, it, some of it was my aunts and, my, okay, you know, okay. I'm not going to call out names. Sure, but, sure, like, sure. you know, these are things I remember for sure. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's like, and, you know, it's there. There is a disgrace to it. Right. I mean, shortly thereafter, like my girlfriend of all through college and first year of med school, like broke up with me because I mean, of that. there was. Well, and I don't know if that's it. Oh. Like, I'm not in case she's listening. Like, I don't we're still like on talking terms now. I wouldn't say it's because of that, but I, I don't think it helped it. Right. Because okay. she was like a second or third year in med student. Oh, now, okay. And her parents were probably like. Doctor, doctor. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He's not a doctor. And, you know, I know her parents weren't big fans of me ever. So this was just like kind of the, the final loss. bullet kind They're of thing. Loss. Well, you know, <laughs> if, she, if she's happy now, she's doing well, I'm, I'm happy for her. That's good. Every, every path goes its own way. And, you okay. know, hopefully, hopefully you find a happy ending at the end of each path. So. And uh, my, the next question is, why, why healthcare administrator? 
Why go down that path? Yeah. So, you know, what I found more and more was that I loved the aspect of finance and I loved Excel uh-huh. spreadsheets and playing with those things. And so at some point I thought, well, you know, I've spent two years in med school. Let me not let this go all the waste. Let me put it into something. And so I was looking around and I was going to get my degree in public health. Okay. Um, I was doing really good at stats in those areas as well as epidemiology. Okay. Um, and then eventually they opened up something called, you know, healthcare administration as a new master's program. Yeah. And I met the individual there that was running it. He was, his name is Ben Greenspan. He's the C, he was the CEO of Sinai hospital in Chicago. Oh, nice. Um, really nice guy. And just, I connected really well with him and hearing him talk about his life and hearing him kind of like teach everything that he taught about leadership made me realize at that point, like, I'm like, I want to be a CEO of a hospital. Like oh. this would be really cool. Like I would love to open an a hospital or open like a set of clinics that could help the world. Um, and so I started going down that path for a little bit. Okay. And then at some point I realized while I was doing an administrative internship for the administrative fellowship for the hospital Mm -hmm. at UIC under the CEO, I'm like, this guy just lives and breathes hospital all the time. Like from the moment you wake up, you're on email, you're in meetings and like dinners until like 9 PM every day. Like, it's great for him because his kids are grown, his grandkids, you know, he sees his grandkids on vacation and stuff. But I'm like, I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily the life I want either. At least right now. Yeah. Yeah. So then at some point too, I was like, okay, well I started to hit a little bit of a glass ceiling in terms of like my skill and where my next step could be at the hospital. So then I started looking outside, um, got into healthcare consulting, Mm. did that for a few years, really loved it. It was, it was a project manager position, Um, lots of big data kind of stuff. Mm. So we were looking at like all these, so there's always new technology coming out right inside of healthcare. So one of the big things is like people were putting silver on colloids in terms of trying to prevent infections and it's like triple the cost of the regular equipment. So the question is like, is it it worth it? Is it it worth it? Right. Is it worth it from a quality standpoint? And so looking at that type of data and being able to feed that back to academic medical centers and other hospitals to say, is it worth it or is it not worth it? Where should you really be spending your money to try to trim down their budgets and make sure that they're within line? Um, And that was super exciting stuff. Again, fun stuff. But ultimately, like I couldn't see where my path would go. Mm. And then I fell in love with pizza. And then it just kind of exploded from there. (laughs) Did you consider anything else besides public health? Like like an MBA, right? Like like something still with finance, but I guess the... MHA uh, is kind of is very applicable. There's there's like practicality to it. But did you consider anything else at the time? Yeah, I had looked at an MBA, um, and I I think I wanted more the healthcare bent, which is why oh. I ended up going after the MHA instead. I had considered getting a JD degree, like yeah. at the same time an MHA JD. After I took one JD class, it was just like holy cow, dude! I can't I can't reading. read this case study. It's yeah. just. A lot of reading I can do, but it's the language and the, the slowness of it. And okay. it's just, I, I don't know how lawyers do it. Much respect to lawyers out there, but it's, it was just too much. I've had friends, I got full rides and, and then realized like this ain't for me after like a few classes. Like yeah. this ain't it. This ain't it. It's, I mean, I think that's what we, I mean, we have the opportunity to change that in life, right? Sorry, I'm just going to silence my phone okay. so it doesn't keep going off. Um, you know, that's the nice thing about having another opportunity to do something else. Even, you know, my, my mentor, Pauly G, like, he changed, he changed everything around in his mid sixties, right? Like yeah. He like, yeah. IT right? or, or late fifties. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Probably like late fifties. He started changing everything around and it's just a whole nother world. So really there's in my eyes, there's never a time that you can't take a step back and make a change in your life. As long as you're willing to go down the path that you need to do. Right. Yeah. And so 
during your time as a consultant, you had enough resources and free time to experiment. A little you, bit. You asked your your wife to build a, <laughs> a, a pizza oven in the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, I wanted a pizza oven in the back. Like we were, we were at a point where I was experimenting every weekend, making different pizzas, playing with ingredients, playing with dough. And at some point, we were just having people over all the time. And I said, you know, honey, this would be really cool if we just let's build a pizza oven in the backyard, and then we can really make it a wood fired pizza, not just do it out of our oven. Create a cool ambiance. Um, and then she was just like, are you crazy? That's, that's insane. Why would you do that? Right. Um, so then I spun it and convinced her that letting me build it on a trailer and bringing it to farmer's markets would be a side gig where I could actually generate revenue, which is true, right? If I'm still inviting friends and family over, I'm not going to charge people when they're coming to my house. Like that's a bad host. If I'm bringing it to a farmer's market and do private events, now we're talking about potential revenue. So she was, uh, she was a trooper. She's very business savvy then, huh? Uh, Just to be be able to see it that way. Yeah. Well, I, I had some convincing for sure. (laughs) It was, it was some work. So I mean, what what are the thoughts now? Do you guys have a pizza, you know, brick oven in the back? We do not. (laughs) No, we do not. Our backyard, you know, we, we bought a house that's, we, we did this thing where we're like, we made mistakes new home buyers do, right? Like we bought the second biggest house in the neighborhood because we loved it. And we're like, we're going to live here forever. This is great. And the moment we wanted to sell it, we're like, There's, this thing hasn't appreciated in value at all. Because you, like, you have to buy like a mid-level or low-level house in the neighborhood uh, and let it come up, right? If you buy like one of the nicer houses in the neighborhood, like it takes time for the whole neighborhood to come up enough to make it worthwhile. And the housing market's been kind of weak as a mm-hmm, whole, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but it's, you know, we've enjoyed the house. Our daughter's now born in the house. Um, it's like a third of an acre. There's a creek in the back, which just means oh, there's nice. a ton of mosquitoes. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that's what kills us. We're like, oh, how do we deal with all these mosquitoes? So many trees, so many mosquitoes. So we're still trying to figure out how to deal with all that. We're not, neither of us are big, like, gardening, like, oh, okay, you okay. know, okay. mow the lawn kind of people. And we both have our own small businesses. So, like, the last thing we want to do when we go home is, like, there goes half an hour. Let me go like mow the lawn, right? Like I want to chill out with my wife or cook yeah. or spend time with my daughter. I don't, I don't want to be, some people love mowing the lawn. Don't get me wrong, but I miss it a little, a little I, I used bit to it from my parents. I was like, I kind of miss it. Anytime, anytime you want to come to my house, man, <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> um, let's go into farmer's markets, farmer's markets. Let's talk farmer's markets. Um, how easy was it to get into those? Not that easy. Okay. The city one is really difficult. Um, we were looking at the first one we were looking at was Green Green City Market. Okay. Um, and they they probably had like one or two pizza vendors by the time we applied, mm. and then we realized like even after the interview, you know, we came in for the interview, we were like an hour late, didn't realize how long traffic would be coming in, and then that made me realize even more like lugging this like three ton oven mm-hmm. on the back of a truck all the way into the city twice a week would be really like, this would be problematic even just on the structure of the oven because we built it ourselves. You know, we're not, we're not exactly masonry experts. Mm-hmm. So knowing that all that vibration would slowly probably start breaking the oven apart too. Oh, okay. So it was, you know, we realized pretty quickly that like, that's going to be a challenge. So we ended up selecting markets that were closer to my home, mostly in the South Southwest suburbs. Okay. And we did those um, and as long as there wasn't a similar food product, it wasn't terrible to get in. Um, but it's an interesting proposal cause you know, you have to pay for the space. 
Uh, you have to get the cost of goods. You got to pay for labor, all that stuff that adds up. And it's pretty difficult to break even unless it's a busy market. Right. And I think at the time we were going, you know, there were farmers, even, even now there's like farmers markets are exploding everywhere. Every mm. neighborhood has their own mm. farmers market, which then becomes that much more difficult for a vendor to do well in any particular farmers market. Mm. So, um, Getting into the busy one, difficult. Getting into the not so busy one, super easy. But then the returns are far lower. Yeah, so it's, it's that much harder to break even. Interesting. It was more of a time to discover if this is at all feasible, maybe long term or like as a passion. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was, I loved it. Like every Wednesday night, I would get together with two of my closest friends from high school. We'd hit the kitchen along with my wife. Um, we'd hit the kitchen, we'd make dough, we'd chop up mozzarella, we'd make, we'd cook ingredients, get it ready. And then Friday night I'd stoke the oven in front of our house. I'd serve some pizzas neighbors. And then Saturday morning we'd go in and set up the oven at like 8am, 7am, load it up, get it rolling. And by like 9am we were selling pizzas. Um, and you know, I got to hang out with two of my closest friends all the right. time. And you're just experimenting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was just fun for us. Right. Um, it got stressful as we started getting more and more catering gigs and as each of us had less and less time, um, we had like a group of friends that were volunteers that were helping out my sister, my sister-in-law, friends from, uh, masters in healthcare administration program. Wow. People would just come and volunteer their time at the end of the year. We threw a big party and gifted them a bunch of stuff that we wow. could. Um, but you know, that first year, like we got just above break even, but also like we had zero labor costs. So I mean, interesting realistically so like what were, what were your th thoughts and questions around that time like like is this is this the right time to like let go of my maybe primary gig and take it head on right so i, I didn't let go of my primary gig um you know this is what we call hybrid entrepreneurs mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. like, you gotta <clears throat> you gotta work your day job and you gotta chase your passion project at the same time and figure out how that all works together mm -hmm. um so we ended up not i didn't leave my primary gig probably until probably a two years after that. Oh. Um, so I was working that still for a while, maybe a year, a year or two. And they kind of gave you, your boss gave you the ultimatum. Yeah. In the end, you know, I'd been talking as we got closer and closer to the point that I was almost positive we were going to sign this spot in Wicker Park. I was talking about it more and more. And I'm sure that she was trying to figure out, you know, when I leave, how do you rebalance the exactly. team? Yeah. So, you know, at some point on one of her one-on-ones, she's just like, well, so when's the big date? And mm -hmm. I just took that as, okay, well, let me, let me give you a real date so that we can work on it. Um, and like I said, I, I thought we were going to take that Wicker Park spot for sure. And then that final negotiation just kind of went to shit and we were just, okay. so then I was out of a job for about a year and a half. So um, with, with the, with the farmer's markets, any, any tips for other vendors trying to get in? Like, did you, did you build a cult following of repeat customers coming, coming through? Um, so we built it as during that year really so like no one knew about us going in okay. right we had done a kickstarter to raise money to help build the oven yeah um so those folks knew about us so in a local fashion we had a few followers but nothing big yet i was just learning how to use instagram then okay. i mean instagram i think had just started really people were telling me to use it and i was kind of brushing aside not really worrying about it yet um so you know after that year was up though we definitely had a good set of followers mm -hmm. which once you're closed down for two years, not doing anything, you kind of lose everyone again. Okay. So you got to start all over. Okay. Um, but I mean, getting in wise, you know, you have to evaluate like what you're trying to do and what your cost is going to be. Yeah. So for a business where, you know, you're making the pizzas in front of them from scratch, your labor is going to be on the high side. So you really do need to get into a market that's busier, that has more volume coming through. Um, we did a lot of scoping, right? So like we, the year before we tried to like scope out the different markets, learn a little bit about them, find out the volume of them before we applied to get in them. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
And uh, what parts of the city? Like, like Wicker Park, you think? Lincoln Park, Wicker Park. For a farmer's market? Yeah. I don't know what the farmer's market brand is nowadays. Yeah, okay. And that's, that's part of the hard part, right? And again, like, they won't let multiple vendors, hot food vendors, that have similar products in because oh. they don't want you to compete. So if someone's already doing pizza, chances are they're not going to want allow another pizza vendor in because, you know, the farmer markets tend to be loyal to the people that they already have. Sure. Which is pretty fair. Um, and that's, I mean, if, if you're their vendor, that's what you want to hear. You don't want to know that there's another pizza person coming Even by. Even if it's better. That's right? insane. <laughs> I mean, if, it, if it's a big enough farmer's market, they might have sure, two sure, of this, sure. like, similar vendor. But generally, they, they only want, like, the one that they've worked with. What are there? Were there any options besides doing the farmer's markets to kind of test your, your product and test the, the market for this stuff? Outside of friends and family? I don't know. I've never stopped to think if there was a different avenue that we could go after. I mean, I... Or, like, I guess a different version. Like, these days, people can just pop up, right? People are popping up in Side Project Coffee. Oh, for sure. Anytime. And and even Francis and his cousin Ryan are working on their own thing called Alico with, like, the you know Filipino flair to it. Yeah. Um, and so maybe... I don't know if you... Did that ever cross your mind to, like... I don't know if you had any friends in the hospitality industry that can like lend you the space at yeah that time. during that time I, I definitely didn't know anyone in industry okay and i don't think pop-ups were hot yet like mm. i feel like back in that day like you know people weren't doing these short one-off pop-ups per se um but i mean more importantly like like you said like i didn't know anyone and so if you if you have no experience and don't know anybody you really don't have a chance like how am I going to prove it to them, right? And mm -hmm. how am I going to make that happen? And ask them to shut down or open up their kitchen to me when I you know, don't have any experience that I need. Well, it boggles my mind how easily Francis says yes to all these different side projects oh, that I ask know. him, like, can we be featured? Or like, can we come through and pop up? And yes, yes, come through, come through. Oh, for like, sure. Wow. And I, I mean, we, do, we try to do the same at our restaurant now. Um, we've had a few pop-ups. Um, but you know, now as we expand our hours, that, that becomes harder and harder, right? So yeah. if we're open during the time, then from a business standpoint, I'm like, well, we either need to break even or get close to in order to make it worthwhile. I guess for it us depends too. on the pop up. Like you don't want <clears throat> kind of a like another pizza thing to pop up in your pizza thing. You know, it's like, actually I don't, I don't mind. If would it, you not mind? Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. I mean, we could partner up and make it fun and it'd be good. I mean, it, it really comes down. It doesn't make sense for them and us. And can we do it on a night that'll drive more sales in for everybody? Right. Right. Um, so we've explored that. There was a point when we were talking to, uh, eat free pizza and we were going to do a pop-up and then they eat free eat free eat, eat free, free pizza, eat free pizza. Okay. yeah they're they're the owners now of pizza fried chicken ice cream i've heard okay i don't think i've seen though yeah they're doing they're doing a really good sicilian but they just switched over to a tavern style that's amazing i think it's my favorite tavern style in the city right now okay um but really friendly people for a while i think like once a week they were just hosting a free pizza session and they were just selling like 10 tickets and it wasn't, it wasn't even a sale. Like they were just giving away free pizza. And if oh. you were one of the first 10 to say, yeah, I want a pizza. You stop by the stoop, bring them some beers. They give you a pizza that they freshly made and they built a massive following really quickly. They okay. blew up. Um, so yeah, we were looking at doing pop-ups with them possibly. We've done some ramen pop-ups. Uh, we've done some donut pop-ups, things like that. Maybe I a mean, white castle pop-up. I don't think White Castle is. I don't think I'm on White Castle's radar. As hard as I try to get on White Castle's radar all the time, right? Like, like we made it. Like, my wife and I made it into, was it the 2012? I saw that. Yeah. I was like, oh, my. I'm like, we're in the White Castle Hall of Fame. And I'm always trying to, like, we bring back the White Castle pizza once a year. I try to mention White Castle in my Instagram feed whenever I have it. 
I'm like, they, they just won't give me any more love. I mean, I've got the trophy and we've got pictures on it. It's great, but I was hoping for like a little bit more. What, what did you, so. I didn't read too far into it, but like, what did you need to do be, to, to get into the Hall of Fame? Submit an essay. Submit an essay? And then they just have to pick their favorite essays. <laughs> and so this was during the time that I'm like, okay, well, I'm not working. The wife's working. I'm like at home typing or thinking, like researching different areas, playing some video games in my off time. I'm like, you know what? This sounds cool. We both love White Castle. Let me submit an essay. I have a great story anyway. It's not a made-up story, right? <laughs> like, it's about us missing... I, I totally missed the last dance. Because to be fair, so at our wedding, my DJ did not tell us when the last dance was coming. What? And so during that time, I had gathered all my groomsmen. And we had each gone to different White Castles to pick up White Castles for the after party in our, in our, oh. like, in our hotel room, right? Because we were going to invite all our friends back, chill out, have White Castle, de-dress a little bit, just yeah. relax. Um, and I had no idea that the last dance was being announced. So I totally missed the last dance. Oh my. Um, yeah. <laughs> wife was not super happy with me about that one, but she had a great last dance with all her bridesmaids. All the groomsmen were out picking up like huge sacks of white castle to bring back to the hotel room. Um, and you know, it's a good story. And we talked, we talked about it and it's, it was a good essay. So it was like a buildup of like my first memory to white castle up until the wedding. And they liked the essay enough that they featured us. Yeah. So. What if you became a, a franchise. <laughs> I don't know that I could just be a franchisee of a White Castle. I mean, I think the best thing about the Polly G's franchise right now is that I have the latitude to like do other stuff, yeah. right? So I can play with a long piece of pizza, rigid, play with breads. Yeah, you know, we can do all sorts of fun things. My staff can make like ice cream sandwiches and stuff. Um, whereas, you know, if I was a White Castle franchise, I think it'd just be, you know, put your nose to the grindstone, make some more sliders. Yeah. It's yeah. not as enjoyable, but I would, I mean, I would probably eat a lot of my profits. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'd give you that for sure. Um, after, or maybe was it during the tail end of the farmer's market? Um, you, you left the consulting gig and you had, what was it like a year and a half to explore? And yeah. did you drive around? That's when you went to buddies? Yeah. 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 So we followed, um, daily meals, 101 best pizzas of okay. the nation. And so we kind of follow that pretty religiously. And then we just said, listen, we're not originally when we got married, we would do one international trip a year, right? Wow. Just experience the world, do different things, visit family members in different parts of the world. Um, the moment that we decided that I was going to open a restaurant, we stopped doing that. And we said, well, let's, let's do road trips. Let's visit our friends from college, from high school, from other spots. We'll crash on their extra rooms or mm -hmm. on their couches and then in the process, let's match up these daily meal, like top 101 pizza places, see how many of these we can hit. Because if we're really going down the route of pizzeria, like I want to be inspired. I want to try mm -hmm. different pizzerias, try their crust, try their toppings, see what they have on the menu and just learn as much as I can just about like the eating and the style of pizza that's out there. And she was for that? She was all for that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. My awesome. wife loves to eat as much as I do, which is great. Which is great. The only bad part is like when she selects a better menu item and doesn't want to share with me. Oh. Like we're, you know, we're very like, we're a very 50-50 share couple, right? Like it's always like you eat half, I eat half. Every once in a while she picks something like, that's way better than mine. Yeah. Well, it's more like I pick something that was just really bad. I'm like, that sounds so off the wall. It's got to work. And then I pick it and I'm like, no, that didn't work. Yeah. Um, but no, she's always been awesome about sharing with me. So yeah, I mean, we checked out all these spots and then on the way back from one trip, we hit Detroit area and we stopped in a buddies and it just like it blew my mind. I'd never had that style. And now now it's like blowing up everywhere. It is blowing great. up a lot. Yeah. It's such a tasty style though. I mean, how yeah. can you not love a good Detroit style pizza, right? Right, right, right. Um that cheese crust, man. That cheese crust and then that airiness is just it blows my mind. 
Um, but it's always interesting. I went back to Detroit probably about two years ago with some friends. Um, and we went through, we tasted through like eight or nine different Detroit style pizzerias. And it's, it's a lot like Chicago. Every, every place has a slightly different tweak and different style to it and how they handle their dough, how they handle their cheese. Um, and buddies, you know, what I recreated from my memories is nothing like the buddies that I had in the end. Interesting. Um, well, okay. So I say nothing like knowing that I'm like a pizza obsessive, right? So like all the little intricacies and okay. all the little changes okay, okay. are different. But, you know, to your average pizza consumer, it probably tastes similar or the same or maybe worse. Yeah. I've had people from Detroit, you know, run the gamut, tell me like, yeah, it's close to buddies, but not quite as good. All the way to this is way better than buddies. You've outdone it. And that's and the so, thing. And we, you talked about this in competitions. It's so subjective. Oh, totally. You can't please everyone. No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, the key is like, if you can serve something that you're proud of and the majority of people are going to be able to enjoy it, like that, that's, that's an A, that's a star in yes. your book. Yes. The previous guest, Ryan said, this is just continue to impress yourself. Yeah. Right. As long, you have to be happy with your product. If you're yeah. not happy, why are you doing it? Yeah. And this yeah. is kind of like, I love White Castle, but like, I can't, I can't continue, you know, I can't serve the White same Castle my whole life. Over no, over I can't. Over. Right. I'd have to, I'd be wanting to like, they've done Sriracha, I guess. I'd want to be putting some fun ingredients on there. But you know? not as often, like as often as you're doing it right now. Right. You're doing it real, really often. Well, we're trying. Well, I got, you know, the more talented team I get, the more ideas that come through, the more that list just grows of like, oh, what else are we going to do now? Like, right. What else are we going to do? What else can we play with? You know, we've got people working on a vegan soup because now that's getting cold. Oh, we're like, wow. we should do some soups. So we're building that area. Maybe some squash. Vegan ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, yeah actually. Butternut squash nice, was the last nice. one I tested yesterday. Nice. So part of the fun. Nice. Um, and so after having buddies, you did you have an epiphany that like, oh, Chicago doesn't have this? Yeah. I mean, the, the first epiphany was just like, why does this, why have I not experienced this all my life? Like, how come all these lucky Detroiters have grown up around this and I haven't had the chance to eat this all the time, right? And, you know, I found a Jets near me and a Jets right, is really good. Right, right. Like I, I love a good Jets. They do a great job. It's crispy. It's done well. Um, sometimes it's a little greasy depending on who's handling it, I think. But right, overall, yeah. like it's excellent. But part of me was just like, I got to learn how to make this. Yeah. And so I started practicing making it. And then at some point I said, well, maybe Chicago might like it. Maybe not. Because Jets weren't exploding at the time. Right. Um, right. There was one place that had opened with Detroit already. I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, another local spot? Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. It's in... It's in, it was in Wrigleyville for a little bit. They were based out of Evanston. And then they had a pop-up. They had like a food hall over here too. It's going to come to me later, I'm sure. But they were the first ones that basically, you know, restaurantized Detroit-style okay. pizza. Okay. Um, and so uh, Union Squared, that's, oh. that's what it was. Yeah, there's so, another one called Five Squared. Yeah, Five Squared mm. just came up recently. Okay, okay. Lovely couple. They're working out of the hatchery now, but they did just a food truck. Okay. And, you know, they have, they have some really good stuff coming out, too. They're doing some d dessert Detroits, which I'm curious to try. I don't, I don't think I'll ever make a dessert pizza for the restaurant, but I am curious about that dessert square, so. Even though when you went to Italy, like, ricotta is supposed to be, like, on a, on yeah. a dessert. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. interesting? Yeah, they, like, <laughs> man, they do not. Italy did not like my pizzas. That's all I can say. <laughs> like, we did not, did not do well. There's always a part of me that's like, if it, if it was blind tasting, I wonder if it would be better or not, hmm. right? Because I, I, I think whenever you judge someone by food, the moment you see who's presenting your food, I think even unconsciously, you start making some yes. judgments and projections immediately, Yes. right? And so, you know, in Italy, I think it's impossible because they're literally running through like in a span of like three days, there's probably like 3,800 pizzas being uh. made and tested, 
right? And these judges, all these panels of judges are just flying through these pizzas, making judgment calls as they go. So I get it. But there's always a part of me that's like, I wonder if they didn't know that I was a Chinese guy from America making Italian food if I would have done slightly better. But it's very you'll never know. You'll never know. Oh, well, you know, you go to like certain Michelin star places like without the face. And now nowadays, like chefs have they, they put their name out there. Yeah. And like your maybe expectation or perception is like a little elevated because you're, it's coming from a certain someone. Certain name, right? Certain name. I mean, this is, you know, chefs being sexy is like a new thing. Food being sexy is a new <laughs> thing. I mean, only in the last like... What fifteen years? Maybe it, since food it's network? so right. You eat, you eat with your eyes first. Oh, for sure. Um, and so after after that, <clears throat> did you come to the realization that you were seeking a mentor? Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, after the year of farmers markets, I realized that I would like to go full time with this somehow. Mm. And the goal was to do the farmers markets for probably another three to four years build up a mass following and then open up a small shop, maybe like, like similar to, and was it before or after you had dinner at a Neapolitan place? So it was, bef- I had dinner at the Neapolitan place before I did the farmer's markets. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So that's okay. kind of what triggered my route down this. Gotcha. Pizza, right. Cause I also saw it a little bit as a business opportunity. I'm like, why doesn't this exist in a subway? Like fashion? a blaze. Like a blaze yeah. before blaze existed. Right, right. Right. And then after that year was up, like, Another three months in, after the year was up, Blaze announced they were putting like 18 locations in Chicago. So then I was like, well, if you're not first to market, now, we're, now we have an uphill battle, which is going to be more challenging. Blaze had massive funding. Mm. Um, so then I reached out to some mentors and decided to kind of alternate my path a little bit. You mentioned three mentors. You never mentioned, you don't have to mention other names if you don't, you don't want to, but how <laughs> did you go, you, and you've already said this many times, but like, explain how you went about choosing which mentor to go with. Sure. Um, so I, I did go after three mentors. I reached out to each of them via email and then phone call if possible. Um, each one was mid-career change. Okay. So something that I was going through essentially. Yeah. Um, each one was not born and raised in restaurant industry. Okay. So I guess that kind of ties to the mid-career change really. Um, and each one was not a diehard Italian to by heart. And yeah. so that, that's just because I've, you know, I've met a few Italians that are just firm believers. Like if you're not Italian, you don't make good pizza type of deal. And so I was, I was trying to find someone to kind of, that would work with me and that would know where I'm coming from and understand like my background values and what I was going through. Okay. Um, and so those three, you know, I reached out to all three of them and Paulie was kind of the one that spent the most time with me, connecting with me, um, phone calls, eventually visits to each other. And eventually but, and partnered w- up. Was the list a longer list before? Like, how did you even, how did you narrow it down to those? To those? How did you even discover? What, is there a list somewhere? Like, how did you find these people? Sure. Um, so I think Serious Eats used to have a section called mm. uh, that was focused on pizzas and pizzerias and different types of owners and interviewing them. And so I read that religiously. Mm. Like I was reading blog posts and okay. Serious Eat posts all the time. Um, and eventually, you know, from that list of pizzeria owners, I found three people that really resonated with me based on the interviews that I read. Okay. And so I just reached out to them and introduced myself and just told them what my goals were and what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, and kind of waited for responses to go from there. And at that time, Pauly G's has been around, has, has been around for a while. So I think they just had their 11, they might be just coming up on their 11 year. And you just came up on your fourth. Yeah. Okay, so they've been around for a while, and, and if you just right now do a quick YouTube search on Apologies, he's got plenty of videos oh, yeah, on, yeah. on YouTube. He's, he's all over the place for sure. He's quite the celebrity. Quite the celebrity, and uh, and he still made the time. Yeah, yeah. He made the time. So how long was it before you got, got to meet him in person? You went back and forth via email and calls. Um, I want to say 
it probably took about three months before I made enough time that I could visit him in New York. Okay. And that first meeting, I was really nervous. Like yeah. I sat down, I like before leading, I remember sitting on the plane and still going through my financials of build outs and all these other things. Cause I had meetings lined up with his architect meetings lined up with all sorts of other people to like really start like figuring out how this all pieces together. Um, so at, at that point uh, before the meeting, you, he shared that he wanted to fr- explore Chicago. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So we had talked about it and he said, you know, I'm looking to start building a franchise. Would you be interested in being my partner in Chicago? Um, and you know, my wife and I like, we didn't sleep for about two nights and then we just talked about it and hemmed and hawed and looked at our finances. And then in the end, it was just a question of, you know, 10 years from now, will we have kicked ourselves for not trying and trying this opportunity out? And if someone else took the opportunity, would we kick ourselves and be like, we could have been there. And so ultimately the answer was yes. So we decided to give it a try. Was the ideal goal to come up with your own thing, like a hundred percent you? The original goal was the original goal was to come up with something that, me and my two, three high school partners would mm-hmm. share in together. Um, when this opportunity came up and we talked about, you know, fully co-partnering, no one was really up for taking Ready to risk. jump in. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they became investors, okay. but they, they weren't willing to leave their day jobs to become part of the operations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, ultimately I, I headed it up and they became investors and mm-hmm. I'm still uh, in the process of paying them back, hopefully sooner rather than later. But th- right. overall things have been good. So, Okay. Um, that's like, yeah, you didn't sleep for two nights that I'm sure that was a very hard, hard decision. It was a lot of back and forth discussion. But then on yeah. the, on the, on the phone with Polly G's, uh, before you even made the trip, did he share how much autonomy you would have under his franchise? I think he talked about it a little bit. He had some idea and he, you know, he said that he wanted us to run each of our own shops the way we would want to run it. Did he have other, other, other locations? Not, at the time? not open yet. No, I think he had, he had just signed with a guy in Columbus, Ohio, yeah, okay. and he had just signed possibly now. with Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, so he might've signed with those guys or might've like been in discussions with them at the same oh. time. Um, and then, you know, I was the next one and then Miami at some point and then Miami unfortunately shut down. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and, uh, going out there meeting him, what were your first impressions? Um, like I said, super nervous, but super excited, right? Like he's kind of, he's kind of a big deal in the pizza world, right? Mm -hmm. Like being able to see everything that he's done and all the interviews he's done. I mean, I don't get starstruck very often, but I was definitely nervous meeting Paulie for the first time. Um, once I got to know him, I mean, he's like a down to earth, pretty regular guy. And it was great to be able to like learn his operations and spend some time with him. Um, the first trip was really just like, tasting his pizza. Mm. Did I like his pizza better, worse, or equivalent to what I was making? Um, seeing if he really had the busyness in terms of like, how was his restaurant doing, mm-hmm. right? Was it all hype that I was reading or was it actually like really busy and hard to get in? Um, and just seeing how everything functioned. And so, you know, it was, it was definitely a good learning experience and it didn't solidify us just yet immediately, but sorry, someone at the window oh, is coming, good, tr- trying yeah. to get coffee, <laughs> the best coffee in the city. So, <laughs> Um, so yeah, that first trip was, you know, getting to know each other before we really just like solidified that handshake deal moving forward. What if the pizza wasn't up to your expectations? Didn't um, live up to the hype? Man. I probably wouldn't have moved forward. With yeah. That. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, you have to serve, we talked about it. You have to serve something that you're passionate about. And if you're not passionate about it, if it's not up to the standards that you want it to be, why serve it? Yeah. Right. Cause other people are going to sense it, whether it's, 
you know, subconsciously or consciously, like they're going to realize it. And I think even, even consciously, like if you're talking to a guest and you don't think you're serving the best thing that you've ever made or your staff's ever made, like they're going to know, they're mm-hmm. going to sense it in some fashion or another. And it's just not going to be as great of an experience for them. Okay. So it's, it's so important to just love what you do. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And be- yeah, believe in it hundred percent. Oh, yeah. for sure. Um, what, and was so that you said that was your first trip. Um, was that the trip where you spent about three weeks? No, that was no. another trip. That was another trip. Kind of like learning every part of the, every facet of yeah. the shop. Yeah, and then and then we. I also spent other time. So like there was one, there was one two week trip. There was another like week trip. There was probably another like two week trip. Wow. Uh, so there's been a lot. This, of this trips is in Brooklyn in for those that don't know. Yeah, this was right. all in Brooklyn. Okay. I'd get an Airbnb, you know, jog my way over in the middle of winter. Some of it was when when Polly and TJ were opening up Columbus. So okay. he needed someone to help mine the shop. We, we called it playing Polly. Oh, nice. Right. So basically I'd go from table to table, introduce myself and do what Polly did. Just make sure everything was going well, wow. tell some stories, get to know the people. Um, but also like some of the nights were, you know, my, the first nights that I was there was really like their dishwasher didn't show up. So let me jump in the line. It's, sure. I've never, never washed dishes before at a restaurant. So Time to learn. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. little by little, just doing everything and figuring everything out. And then, and then back home, you did you pick up a job at a pizza shop too? I did eventually. Uh, you were, you were tutoring for uh, on the side. Yeah, I was tutoring for my uncle on the side, teaching high school kids how to improve their ACT, SAT, SAT okay. scores. Yeah. Um, and then during the late evenings, I was doing shifts at the local Naperville Pizzeria. Um, and they're still there. They're actually just starting to do Detroit style. So they came over and learned a little bit from us, which is exciting. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they were doing wood fired pizza and I just never having to work the line in a long time as a job. Like I wanted to better understand it in the interplay, right? Like at Paulie's I did it for a few nights, but I wasn't paid. I wasn't really fully treated like an employee necessarily. Mm. Um, and not experiencing that like full life. Um, but it's also very different. Like the people, the people that Paulie employed at the time for sure, were just so deep into pizza. Hmm. So not even, you know, they, each one of them had like eaten at 20, 30 pizzerias in the city, had lists of oh. places for me to go, where to get good food. Like they loved their food. Whereas like people in the place that I worked at Naperville, they hadn't even been to the pizzeria down the street. That was like an exact competitor. Oh, okay. And so, you know, you can see that there's a difference in passion. Yeah. Um, you know, we like to employ a mix of that inside our restaurant because it's really hard to find people that are just passionate about food that want food to be their life necessarily all the time. Right. And so I always love to bring those people in first and foremost, because that's when you know your quality is going to be the best, right? They're going to care the most about it. But we definitely have people too that are like, well, this is, you know, I love what I do, this is a, a job. but this is a job, yeah. but you know, it needs to be a little bit of a passion. Cause if, if you don't even like your job, then what's the point, right? You're not right. going to, you're not going to enjoy being with the team. You're not going to be proud of what you make. And so we always try to find people that, are at least proud, like enjoy cooking, enjoy being in the kitchen of some fashion or enjoy the customer service aspect. And so what, um, what, what do specifically do you ask them in the interview? Um, so I'm fortunate not to have to interview so much anymore. You I don't leave, want to, huh? I leave that to my general manager. Good to for you with. to be able to just like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, my, my managers do the first rounds of interviews and then what we do is we bring people into stage for one day, one ah, shift. Okay, okay. Right. And I hate staging people cause I think it's, it's like free labor, right? There are places that are three-star Michelin restaurants that talk about, like, I have friends that stage there for, like, two months. That's a long time. That's ridiculous. That's a long time. Right. Yeah. How can you be unpaid for two months working all the time? You're no longer learning. That's not a stage, in my opinion. That's free labor. Mm-hmm. And I get that, like, the economics of restaurants are a whole nother deal, right? Like, maybe they can't make it work. I, d- I don't know what the appropriate charge is, is it, to make Is it hard to let out. go of someone once they're in the door? Um, 
I've, I'm always really bad about letting go of people. And I need to get better about it. Yeah, right? there's definitely an emotional aspect, but is there like a legal thing that you can just like, hey, you're not meeting our expectations. Like, you got to go. You mean after we've hired After them? you've hired. So, you know, I come from a student development background. When I was in college, um, I did student development multiple times. I was part of orientation. I ran the dorms in UIC. Well, we called them residence hall, not dorms. Yeah, dorms I was an RIT. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. I was a resident director for a while. Wow. And so, you know, firm believer in like helping people grow and develop. Okay. So we bring someone in and when they fail, I always sit down and I'm like, okay, so what, what can we do to improve? What's the lessons learned? And I think I allow people too many chances. This okay. is what I've learned over okay. time. Um, and so I've got to get a little more thick skin. I've got to learn to cut people faster if they're not right for the job. Um, but it is. For me, it's hard to let people go because I get invested in them. I get invested in my team. Like, I want to know about them. I want to know, you know, what their likes, what their passions are, what they want to do in life, mm -hmm. right? And that's what makes a person. Like, it's great that they can function at their job. And I love it when they function really well. But I want to know what these people do and, like, what is, what is their final here. goal? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because not everyone wants to open a pizzeria. Not everyone wants to work in food service for the rest of their life. So I think it's important. Like, I've always thought it's important for any staff that work for me. Like, I want to get to know you so that I can, if I can help you in some way, like, I'd love to be able to help you like I've had mentors help me. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I, I, I tend to get a little invested in our team. And I tend to be slow to let go. And that's probably not the best way to do things. You should be slow to slow to hire and quick to fire is what they say in the business, right? Okay. Like if they're if they're making major mistakes, if they're not improving the way they need to improve, like you need to let them go. And it's you know, it's a hard thing for me to accept, I guess. But yeah. I'm I'm hopefully hopefully slowly getting better at it cuz you know, it's as much as it's good to invest in someone, it's poor team atmosphere when you someone's underperforming and everyone sees down. that. It yeah. brings everything down. And the whole team sees that, you know, this is the weakest performer and nothing's being done about it. And then they realize, well, then why am I working so hard? Right. And so that becomes the challenge. And so every time we've had to let every time I've personally had to let someone go for any major reason, I see a total shift in team dynamic. You see the people like some of the under underdogs that weren't performing quite as well as they could have suddenly performing a lot better. We see people that were, you know, kind of slacking off, kind of doing working a little bit harder. People that were working hard already happier because there now are consequences. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the as you call out, I don't want to say the weak points of the team, but really like the underperformers that aren't meeting the quality criteria that you need. Like it makes the team stronger, it makes the team better, and it makes the team happier, mm -hmm. which is, I hate to say it that way because it sounds bad, but it's an important thing to realize too. I mean, I think long-term as well is like whoever you cut, I think will eventually realize that that wasn't serving them either. That's the hope, right? Right, that's, yeah. And that's always the hard part. Like, I mean, I, we had to cut someone recently and it, it's, it's in the middle of COVID and I feel terrible about it, but at the same time, like... It, there was just too much risk and there was too much too much going on with the team that it just wasn't working out. Interesting. And so having that discussion is always it's a, it's a tough discussion to have. What other what other takeaways um, did you gain from uh, spending time at, <coughs> at Brooklyn at Pongees? Um, culture. You know, a lot of it was operations. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot of operations from Pongees. Culture wise, Paul and I definitely run things a little bit differently. We view oh. our team a little bit differently. Um, Overall, I you know, I'd say they're they're just different styles of leadership. Paulie and I have very different styles of leadership, and that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, if it, if whatever works for him works for him, um, what were the did he set any like really hard and fast boundaries as like to be a franchise of Paulie G's? 
Because is it and it's is it rare to be that autonomous as a franchise? I think it's pretty rare. Okay, right. I mean, it, it depends on the franchises. I think what Polly's was labeled a micro franchise recently, so oh. I don't I don't know what that means. Maybe it's like ten or less, maybe. Um, but most franchises tend to have a very strict code and strict menu that you have to follow. Strict operations. Right. He has strict operations, and we follow his wood fired pizzas to a T. Okay. Um, but then from there, like everything just deviates and we, we do what we yeah, want to do. That ties you say to like 30, 40% of your, the menu is Polly G's. Yeah. Nowadays it's probably 30, 40. 30 when okay. we opened, it was probably close to 75. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were playing as great as hits and we just kept expanding and expanding and playing with more local stuff. And, yeah. You know, tastes change in every, every area. Yes. So. Yeah. So speaking <clears> of that, like coming from Brooklyn, taking it into Chicago, um, did he have any concerns and did you have any concerns about what the local taste might you know, perceive you guys as? I think so. I think, I think wood-fired pizza still had an uphill battle for a while. Mm. Um, even though it had been in the city for a little bit, people still didn't get wood-fired pizza, right? It's like a little soupier in the soft center. It's mm-hmm. not as crisp. Um, you know, it's such a fast pizza that it just changes the texture, even, even when it hits your table within two minutes. Like if you're taking two minutes in the middle of a conversation to talk while the pizza arrives, it's, yeah, it gets, it's a different pizza, yeah, it's a different, yeah. right? And people people just didn't get that for a long time. I mean, we have Reno down the street, which serves incredible wood-fired pizza. so many good things about that. Their, their bagel sandwiches look gorgeous. Oh. Their pastas look amazing. Their wood-fired pizzas are excellent, okay. bigger, bigger than ours. I think they cook at a lower temperature because it's definitely crisper than ours too, right? Okay. Artisan pizza, great artisan pizza, wonderful owner. Um, but it just like, for ours, ours is closer to Neapolitan. I'm not going to say that we're true Neapolitan, um, but we're closer to Neapolitan. So it's a little thinner. It's going to sog out a little bit faster, and people just don't get it. I mean, some people get it, and they're like, did you even heat our pizza? Like, what, you know, well, if you've been talking for the last 15 minutes, yeah, it's going to be a cold pizza by then, because right, it only spent right. 60 seconds in the oven. Right. So it's, it's interesting to continue to educate them. Our biggest gap was from the beginning that we didn't allow folks to make adjustments to their toppings. We didn't have a build your own pizza to start. Mm. And in a culture where, you know, you go to Domino's, you go to Pizza Hut, you know, this is the predominant culture. It's Little Caesars. Like, this is what people are used to, right? I want a half and a half sausage with pepperoni and pineapples on this half right, and, you right. know, garlic on the other side. They're not used to someone designing a pizza that we've thought through from a texture, flavor, you know, from front to end standpoint and wanting them to enjoy it the way that we've designed it. Pizza is always been a customizable food yeah. except for at our restaurant um and so that was the biggest challenge for us to begin with i think um, it's very interesting but little by little you know people have gotten used to it it's different tiers to to food like so like you know when you go to places like Oshaval for a burger they don't let you adjust the temperature of the burger right no that's true but you can add bacon or you, you can, can add, add cheese or yeah another that's burger. true that's true so there is some modification allowed that's there true. right yeah it's just like you you've set a precedence a precedent and it's like this is how you should have it yeah that and the ranch fight the but ranch. then you can you can adjust the veganness and the glutinous of it and, and you're, so you're gluten friendly so we only got With our, some of those yeah well I mean, right. at least i've only had the eggplant one so that that was the one that was right i, I saw the options i was like wow so our detroit style our detroit inspired styles are gluten friendly because okay. we've developed a dough that cooks in its own pan that's raised in its own area that doesn't gotcha. come in contact with flour um, and we always say gluten friendly because we're not a gluten-free kitchen right but so that one we allow for gluten-friendly because we make those. 
And that's a whole like 24 hour process just to like prep the dough to get ready to bake. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a limited amount. And so people always just immediately assume like, oh yeah, well, if you make that, you probably have a New York style gluten friendly, you probably have a wood fired gluten friendly. And again, more education. That's like, well, we don't, we don't cook it on a different surface. The handling of the dough is totally different. Actually, all three of our doughs are made completely differently. Mm. We don't have a gluten friendly for those, unfortunately. Um, and so it takes, it takes a little bit of education, I think, for guests to figure that out. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and so the build-out process, you earlier said something about Wicker Park, and it fell through eventually. Yeah. Um, what – it was a very – it was a multi-year pro- like process as well, searching for a place? Yeah. Searching for a place was definitely a multi-year process, okay. right? And it came down to finding a place that was reasonably priced for build-out as well as, like, reasonable traffic either at the moment or coming up. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just trying to build all that together. It was, it was tough to find a good spot. Um, so I, and you've, you've, I dug real deep. So you broke it down on Quora in 2015. And uh, can you break down your thought process into coming up with the expenses that you were thinking of when searching for a space? Wow. Um, so I don't remember this Quora post. I have to go back and take a look at some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am looking at two spaces now that we're getting ready to move forward with. So nice. I can, I can look at it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the first and foremost, whenever looking for a space is what, is there a kitchen built in place already? Okay. Right. Kitchen is always going to be your most expensive build out okay. because if you don't have gas line coming in, mm-hmm. if you don't have the right electricity, whether it's phase three or phase one, depending on what your equipment needs, um, what kind of voltage you need, things like that, all that is going to be, some of it's going to be negotiating with the city and getting new lines set up, mm-hmm. which costs money. Right. And then building the kitchen, getting the plumbing and the pipes in place for where you need the drain lines, the grease traps and all that stuff. Every one of those things adds up and then comes the duct work. So if you're going to work with an open flame, a stove or anything else, you need like black iron or other types of ducts to pull all that air out. Mm-hmm. Black iron's $10,000 per story. Like it's, it's just super expensive, especially if you have to go up multiple stories. Mm. Um, and then understanding like if you're in, if there's apartment buildings above you, you have to have a certain level of clearance away from other buildings. So now you have to expand the duct work farther up. So that's the first thing you look okay. for. Is there a kitchen in place? Um, if there's not a kitchen in place, is it raw enough or do you need to break it up a lot? Right. Mm. And then after that, I think what I, what I would look at now is, you know, how much of the, the front of house or the guest space is even usable and how much you need to do to that. Ultimately, that's probably your lower cost. Um, this, the space that you're looking for, for where guests sit, like adjustments can be made. You can change the floor, you can change the walls. And it's not super expensive as long as you're not moving and building whole new rooms around mm. it. And I mean, right now, I think more and more people enjoy that open atmosphere. Well, mm-hmm. minus COVID, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but so having like a, a nice open space where you don't have to build a whole bunch of new walls and structures will help significantly. Um, and then in between that is the bathrooms. Because okay. again, the bathrooms are more pipes that you have to deal with, figuring out how the pipes run. And pipes are expensive. Getting mm-hmm. good plumbing is expensive. Um, you have to remind me. What did I say in Cora? No, you were just talking about um, <coughs> the fixed costs and the variable costs and, and things like that. Oh, for running the business. A, a more of a basic, not just... I'm, I love how you went into like the kitchen stuff. and, and that, <laughs> that, that helps a lot. No, that helps a lot. Yeah, so that's for like if you're opening a restaurant and you're yeah. thinking about it, right? Yeah. The fixed versus variable cost. So this is, this is how I operate my business in general, right? So you have a, a set of fixed costs, which are defined by probably your salaries. You're always going to pay yeah. your salaries no matter what happens. You're going to pay for rent. You're going to have to pay utilities, which is a little bit variable, but 
there's there's pretty much room in that, right? But mm-hmm. utilities aren't going to vary too much in theory. Um, and then your insurance costs, your permit costs, things like that, whatever that you have to pay on a yearly basis. And so you have your fixed cost, which you have to look at from a spread it across your 30 days by a month to month period. So you understand like, what's my daily fixed cost rate mm. just to even hold on to this space. What does it cost me to hold on to this space? And then you got to add in the variable cost, which is, you know, what is my food cost? Right? So like in a pizzeria, you're probably running anywhere from 20 to 30% food costs. So for every dollar of pizza that you're selling, you're spending 30 cents on ingredients. Mm. So now you have 70 cents left. Now you got to work in, well, what's my labor cost? Because in theory, if you're managing your labor right, that should be a variable cost. So if things are slow, you're cutting people out and getting them off the shift. If things are busy, you're bringing more people on to get shifts covered. But and that's not as realistic as it, it is, is it? It's not immediate. Uh, not immediate. But oh, what okay, you can okay. do is, you know, over time, you have a better understanding. So, you know, when we first opened, for the first, like, two, three months, this is a prime example, right? So with COVID even, for the first month, month and a half, when we reopened under the new model with the slice window and everything else, we overstaffed because you want to make sure you have enough staff. You're yeah. managing things properly. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, we start cutting back staff yeah. and figuring out, you know, we only need two pizza makers on this day, not three. Let's readjust. We only need two servers on this day. Oh, okay. And so now you're making adjustments there. And then as business becomes regular outside of COVID seasons, you start understanding the ebbs and flows within seasons mm. as well as around major holidays. Nice. So, you know, oh, we're doing a fundraiser with this school, which we do once a year, every year, we're going to be slammed. Let's bring on two more pizza makers. Let's bring on a server. So now you start getting smarter and adjusting, assuming that you're tracking the numbers and understand them, right? If you're just flying by your pants day by day, you're never going to get better. Um, But that's that's part of what you have to learn and then, you know, what you hopefully teach to a team of individuals that you work with. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we always look at, you know, what's the fixed cost? Um, my target every day is, can we beat variable cost, mm. right? So if I can beat my variable cost, that means that I've made money that goes towards fixed costs, okay. right? Yeah. Anything above variable cost means that I'm offsetting some of rent, maybe not all of it, but I need to offset some of it. Because knowing, at least in the restaurant industry, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday, maybe Thursday, if you're doing things right, are, are your big days. Okay. And so, you know, you may be losing money Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when you add fixed and variable together. Right. But as long as you're beating variable, you're putting money away towards rent and you're going to get closer to profitability overall. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Okay. And so, so you're, you're trying to expand right now. I am trying to during COVID right times. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Good for you guys. It's, it's a weird thing, right? Like it's seeing all these restaurants shut down and all these other spaces start opening up. You feel a little opportunistic taking advantage of it. But at the same time, if you don't jump in, someone else will. Um, I, I, the only solace I take is like, it's not like I tried to close these places down personally. And so when there's an opportunity, we look at it and we say, you know, is this a chance for us to expand and do something cool? Um, and so we actually, I don't think we've announced this publicly yet. Oh. We just signed the Banchi spot in Wicker Park. The they, old Banchi they closed? Spot. They did. Oh, I didn't know that. They closed about, I want to say two or three months ago. I didn't even know that Banchi was in Chicago until I was in Rome. <laughs> and I saw, I saw Goose Island stickers there. I saw... Really? I saw honey butterfried chicken stickers there. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, why is someone... There's a lot of Chicago Dude, stuff here. Dude, Josh Kopp loves Banchi <laughs> out there. And Banchi's stuff is... In 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 Rome, it was amazing. It blew my mind how good it was. Like, like my wife and I walked an hour from the Vatican. Yeah, yeah. She was in the worst mood ever. Like, super unhappy with me walking on a dark street, not knowing if we're gonna get run over at every curve. Like, 
And then we ate banchi and everything was right again. Yeah. And then we walked away yeah. two, two blocks, looked at each other and decided this is the best food we've had in a long time. And we walked back and ate more. It was just, yeah. it blew my mind how good it was. Um, but yeah, so they opened up in Chicago. Okay. They, they had opened at, in Randolph. Yes, and I've they, been to that one, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then they opened the Wicker Park one a few okay. years ago. And unfortunately, it didn't make it. Um, you know, the landlord had his own theories as to why they didn't survive there. But unfortunately, they didn't. And fortunately for us, we were able to get in on the spot. So we'll see, we'll see if we can make it work or not. And um, pre-COVID, I, I unfortunately didn't make it to, to Poly G's Logan Square yet. Um, but... Was it exclusively dine-in? It was 85% dine-in. 85% dine-in. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, have, we partner up with some third-party yeah. delivery, um, and we have some pickup as well. Uh, we'd limit it, we try to limit our pickup and delivery as much as possible just because the quality of the product suffers, especially the wood-fired pizza. On transport. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that stuff, it just it goes, into a, it goes into a box, and it's sad, like a coffin. Sad it to say it, it. You know, like you want to support <clears throat> some of these places that I – have to make like a 25 minute drive to and it's and i'm driving it back home and things like burgers don't hold up yeah fries don't hold up yeah i mean they're not they're not meant to right like when chefs and when owners design this food every thought is how can i make this amazing the moment it hits the table and make it a phenomenal experience yeah very few people design food to go and I, this is changing right like I'm, I'm learning more and more that People are designing food now specifically so it's made to survive in a box for the purpose of delivery. Like people are learning how to fry fries so that it stays crisp much longer than normal, right? And making changes to this food so that it survives delivery so that it's, it's meant to be delivered almost. Um, and I just you just need to do a, some prep or some warm rewarming or whatever. Yeah. I, I splurged on a Thanksgiving dinner for Alinea. And like Grant Ackett's like would put out a video on like their, their specials every week and, and to teach you how to like plate it and re- reheat it and oh, things like sure. that. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that kind of caliber pivoting successfully pivoting. Yeah. Um, you got to change like the, the pricing and, and everything and what your, your cost, like what you're able to put out yeah. the, the, the product. Oh, so you bought this year's Alinea Thanksgiving. Day. I've never been Alinea before, but then I saw that like they came out with the Thanksgiving thing. It's like, that's so you're getting that clear pecan pie thing that they do too. Oh my God, that looks amazing. You have to tell me how that is. I'm, I'm super envious. I'm like, how does this thing have any flavor? This just looks like water gel. I'm like, for is it is that was that in Thanksgiving? Or was it a pumpkin pie? Yeah. I think it's I think a it's pumpkin, pumpkin pie. pie. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. But that it, pecan, like, yeah, that sounds interesting too. I, I, yeah, I don't think it's pecan. I think it's pumpkin. I probably misspoke. But it still looks amazing. I'm like, how do you create a clear gel of pumpkin flavor? That's impressive um but no you're right people people have learned to pivot and we've had to make like everyone's had to make adjustments or choose not to and risk you know shutting down because you're not adjusting but then then there's restaurants i'm taking my buddy out for his birthday to ever Mm -hmm. and that's the everest spinoff right that's the one that from Curtis and Michael Moser. Muser, okay, so I'm confused. That came from Grace. Oh, okay. It was initially Grace shut down, and then they opened during COVID times. Yeah. And uh, but they they're not doing to go. They're still doing their three star Michelin thing. They're doing dining, but though, right? like their guest or customer or clientele is of a different caliber. And yeah. So maybe they can afford. They can still afford to like regularly go out. One of the previous guests, uh, sushi chef Otto, Otto fan oh, yeah, from yeah, yeah. Kyoto. Yeah. Um, Great guy. I recently uh, uh, caught up with him, and, and he said he doesn't plan on going back to uh, di- open dining. It used to be a nine-seat nine 
um, omakase. Yeah. And now during COVID times and maybe after COVID times, he said it's private dining. You're yeah. going to have to buy out the whole buy space. Buy out the whole space. Yeah, yeah. I saw him doing that early on. I was curious if that did well. It's or not. working. That's, uh, and it's, that's I'm impressive. torn because, you know, you <coughs> want to share this experience with other people. And like, even then I was like, yeah, I guess I would splurge, you know, a couple hundred dollars to share this experience with someone. But now it's like five, six hundred dollars. I'm like, I know, oh, no. I know you need to find some richer buddies. That's what it comes down <laughs> to. I'm like, and when you find them, let me know. Cause then I'll tag along too. And we'll figure that out. Um, I've, I've got to dine in the Kyoto once and it was oh. blow my mind. Good. I'm just like, I haven't had sushi this good in forever, dude. This is. This is insane. Odo's a really cool guy for sure. Um, and so the, one of your last posts on Instagram is, are you doing, you're catering charcuterie and doing catering now? Right. So we brought on a new staff member, uh, Renee, and she is our catering manager, catering and special events manager. Um, and, you know, part of this was to try to pivot and just kind of do a little bit more with the skill set that we have in the restaurant. We have a lot of people that love to cook, that do different cool things. Renee is a, a skilled chef. The new person I brought on, Tony DeZutter, is a very skilled chef. We actually brought Tony on to lead and open a brunch program at Poly G's Logan Square wow. before COVID hit. And then we, you know, we've been pivoting ever since. Sure. Um, so, you know, this, the goal is to, the plan was as COVID got better and people were doing limited gatherings at their homes, they may want something catered. Right, yeah. Or offices may eventually want something catered if they have workers coming back. And so... She's developing the process, the catering process right now. We've done one catering gig and one chef's table so far. So, you know, my area is not packaging, labels, um, understanding how those things type of work. She can pretty it all up as well as cook and understand, like, how it all needs wow. to flow together. And so she's been a really essential part of the team and just starting to launch that catering arm. Um, and so, you know, it's an area that I think it's, it's a great opportunity. We've got the talent for it. And so we're just going to start building it out and seeing what we can do with it and seeing if we can use that to also help create more work for some of my front of house staff. So if we have some on-site catering where there's a chance for people to help serve or do other things, mm. you know, it just creates more hours for the staff as a whole in a time where we don't have a lot to offer at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And you left it all to your staff um, <coughs> on whether or not they felt comfortable with dine-in during COVID times. Yeah, I mean, I, I take their temperature on this pretty regularly. Um, we, we try to like talk, I always talk individually with them all the time. And then once every two months or so, I'll put out a survey and let them just say like, where do they stand on if we opened this portion of the restaurant or the whole restaurant or none of the restaurants yeah. still. And so, you know, I kind of let them guide the way. Um, ultimately, the, the staff are the life and blood of the restaurant. Exactly. Right. Like I'm not a mom and pop shop where it's like me, myself and I and maybe two other people running the shop. And so I want to make sure that my staff are comfortable with what they do. I don't want them to be unhappy with what they do as much as I can control it. And That's very interesting. I mean, and, but you're probably looking at it from a business perspective as well. You know, like, do you, is there a backup plan? Like, what happens, like, if, if they don't feel comfortable and they just, like, don't want to come into work? So, I mean, if they don't come into work, we, we might have to let them go. You know, we have uh, to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, in the, I mean, there was, there was a time that they weren't ready to come back to work. In mm -hmm. fact... You know, when we were getting ready to reopen in June, I, I think the temperature was pretty soft. They were not ready to come back to work. And it took a lot of individual calls, having conversations. Eventually, I sent an email out of frustration that was like, you have a choice. You can come back to work or you cannot be part of the team. And that didn't go over very well. Mm. And there was, there was various reasons for that email. And there was various reasons for that discussion that needed to happen. But I think they also needed to realize at some point, you know, if you don't come back to work, 
there, there won't, won't be, be a place. place to come back to yeah. in a couple of months, right. right? Like we're burning through money and at some point there's just no more money to be had. Um, and so, you know, we, we did everything we could to make things as safe as possible. I mean, knock on wood, we have not had a COVID case in our restaurant yet. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer with the way COVID spreading that it's not an if, but when. Yeah. So that's the scary part for us. You know, every, every restaurant that has been around us has basically shut down for a period of time because of someone testing positive for COVID. I'm thankful that all my staff have been, t they've taken this pretty seriously. Um, and so, you know, they've limited their circles. They've not gone out to parties. They've been very smart about it, knowing that they'll impact the rest of the staff as well. And so wow. we've been fortunate so far. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. I, uh, Maybe last week or two weeks ago, I went to Maplewood uh, Brew. Yeah, I just read about them. I went I went there <coughs> the day before they closed, and they did so well in making sure that it was, you felt safe inside plexiglass. Yeah, they made cubicles out of pl plexiglass. I think they induced, like, changed up the ductwork for, like, positive pressure yeah. ventilation um, or negative pressure ventilation. And uh, But then you hear the next day, like, one of their employees tested positive from a non-customer. They... they contracted from a non-customer and it's like it's very you got to shut it down you got to clean and wow yeah it's 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 crazy times for everybody right like and, every individual every business out there is struggling and suffering through covid but at the same time the hard part's like well if we don't do things right it's just going to continue to get worse and it's it's a, it's a tough decision and i i get why a lot of restaurants are open and trying to like get people in their doors and trying to stay open and fighting to stay open but you know, I don't, I don't know what the right decision is. Where well, if 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 the city of Chicago or even the federal government can can do anything for you guys, what more would you like them to, to do? What what more would you like to see? Um, I mean, we we've had that PPP package, right? Like we were fortunate enough to get a loan. And to bring it, make it even more broad, more generic, for just people in general, people that are out of work. And so, and so with like Andrew Yang and like the stimulus package and things like that, like, would you like, what are your thoughts on like giving like everyone $1,200 like every month? I think that'd be great. I mean, I think every that'd be excellent. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if the federal government could afford to do it, which in theory, why can't they? Because in theory they print money. Right. I mean, I'd, here's where my economics are weak. Right. Um, but if, if we could afford to do it, like, I think it'd be, it would be necessary and be great right now to be able to give people an extra, you know, $1,000 a month, $1,200 a month to help supplement because it, it makes a difference so much in everyone's lives. It, even in, I mean, I tell my staff this, even in the early days when I was just opening the restaurant, I, you know, I couldn't pay myself for about a year and a half, two years mm. just because like we were barely scraping by. Like I, at six months, we were getting ready to shut down the restaurant just to have $1,000 extra a month could have just made my life easier, my mm. wife's life easier. And like, you know, I, I had some savings, whereas I have staff members that are just barely have even savings based on right. what they're trying to do. Right? right. And so, you know, being able to have that extra money would help a lot. But I think it needs to stem. It needs to come down from the top. Right. So what happens is landlords are charging because they still have mortgages to pay. They still have insurance bills to pay. They have like taxes to pay on mm. their land. So if there's no forgiveness from the top. Right. And that's just right above me. There's no forgiveness there. Yeah. Then how's he or she going to be able to give me forgiveness exactly. and be able to help me out? Yeah. And so then it stems back to the bank, which then stems back to the government. So ultimately, you know, we have to figure out what that chain is, who's at the top of that chain and figure out how it flows down properly through right. everyone else. So, I mean, it's, I think it's great if we can bring money down to the, the populace yeah. 
because I think it helps make everyone's life easier. But if we really want businesses to survive and be able to give them funds to be able to continue to stay open, like it definitely needs to start from the very beginning and figure out where, how to make it trickle down properly. Yeah. I just feel like the current feelings around it, uh, the, the very polar opposites is like, let businesses do their thing. Let people who feel comfortable going out and, and patronizing these businesses, let them, let them go out. Yeah. But then on the flip side, some businesses don't feel safe doing that right. yet. Right. Right. And, and so if you make the decision to, sh- to shut down, I think the feds should come in and step in and just like, Hey, we'll supplement you if you don't feel comfortable opening and yeah. just, it's stuck in the middle. Yeah. And I mean, then it becomes a challenge, right? Like I fully understand, like you have to balance, balance the incentive enough that, people have to figure out like which makes more sense for me ultimately. Cause if you make the incentive too good to shut down, everyone's going to shut down. You're going to mm-hmm. shut down the economy completely. Mm-hmm. And then if you, if it's not enough, then no one's going to shut down because they, ha- they still have to pay their bills and they have right. to figure things out. Yeah. And so, you know, finding that balance, I think is a challenge. And you know, the first stimulus packages were a little bit of that. Like it's, I think they're trying to apply a, a broad term stimulus that didn't always work out well, depending on who you were. Yeah. I, well, I wonder, I wonder how much, how much, how much of the, the populace would actually stop working in general if they got a steady supplement. And when we say supplement, I mean, you shouldn't be able to like live comfortably off of this, but it should supplement your income. Um, and in addition to that, you work because uh, hopefully, I don't know if the majority feels this, but it brings a sense of pride and fulfillment, not just like a way to pay your bills. <laughs> Yeah. And so when you're stuck at home all day, you're going to lose that. And so hopefully, you know, they still want to inherently go to work. Yeah. Well, I love Andrew Yang's argument, right? He firmly believes that a thousand dollars a month that you'll just be building more and more entrepreneurs, people that are invested in the economy in some fashion or another, because then they have that extra money to be able to experiment and do things with. Right. It creates that a little bit more of a safety net. I think, you know, for a lot of my staff, I think that's true. Almost everyone has a side gig or side project on my staff. Mm. And they're all working on individual projects that has the potential to become a small business. Um, so, you know, that extra thousand dollars goes, it goes a long way. It goes a huge way. Mm. So waiting on that second package. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Just about everybody. Just about everybody. I don't, I don't think we'll yeah. see what happens. I think I th- a few months ago, people were like, rent's due soon. You know, like, we're, what are we going to do? I know. I Before know. it, like, like opened back up a little, you know? With elections coming, though, I feel like things are oh, yeah, things yeah, are yeah. clamping down, and that the stimulus package discussion is almost, like, becoming moot right now. Right, yeah. right, right. They're just waiting for the next big move to see what happens. Okay. Um, Derek, that's all I had oh. for now. I know we're going to do a follow-up pizza episode. If you had any other... Um, pizza makers that you felt would would like to chime in on that episode we'd love to like get them here oh cool but um so far it's like professor pizza apologies logan square and then uh francis and his cousin so from alico pizza so we have different experience levels kind of chiming in on their journey and things like that yeah but if you feel like there are others that should be involved in this and you probably know so many um i just send them we can set it up you know and and i'm planning to use this tape this like long table right here to get something going cool um just on the ins and outs of of pizza we should uh you and i should talk offline and see see who you might be interested in bringing in so yeah that'll yeah, be fun yeah so thanks for coming on Dan. hey thanks for having pleasure. me this was amazing lots of lots of new questions that made me think and now i gotta go back and check my core from 2015 <laughs> i don't remember answering that at all yeah i mean you're i admire and respect the amount of de- like um meticulousness to your time management you're very intentional <laughs> with your i time. try 
I really do try. But. And uh, and and then you did CrossFit for a little bit. I, I, there's a lot of you on on the internet. So <laughs> <laughs> it Man. wasn't it wasn't too hard. It was overwhelming because like uh, he's been interviewed so many times. I, oh, don't, I don't know what to ask. <laughs> please, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thanks to Francis for letting us host this. Here. I know, this I know. Like... So it was sponsored by Side Project Coffee. So oh, perfect. Shout out to Francis. Thank you, Francis. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you in the next episode. Stay curious. <laughs>